And it's something that doesn't just affect the person who commits the sin, but everyone around them. I'm not talking about murder. I'm not talking about violence. I'm not talking about hatred. I'm talking about the sin of greed. I tend to think that we, um, I think we tend to think that murder, excuse me, that uh, greed, you know, isn't at the same level of as murder, you know, that, that maybe greed is, you know, compared to those things, murder, violence, those things, it, it's a lesser sin or maybe a, a more accept, acceptable sin in our eyes. But we forget that God doesn't think the same way we do about things sometimes. And after all, how many times has greed led to other sins like murder, violence, hatred? And when I think about it, when I look at the scriptures, I really can't think of too many things that the Bible talks more about than about the sin of, of greed or things related to money. And I think the reason why the Bible talks so much about it is because greed is the antithesis of one godly characteristic that ought to mark every single believer, and that is generosity. Greed is the opposite of generosity. So what is greed? If we were to try to put a label on it, what is it? Is greed the insatiable desire for more? Is it a desire to maintain certain appearances? I mean, what is greed and where does it begin? I grew up, uh, I'm a child of the 80s, and so I grew up watching a, a cartoon called DuckTales. I don't know how, how many of you remember that. I hadn't thought about it for years until this week. But uh, it's a cartoon about Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And they're adopted by their Uncle Scrooge. And one of Uncle Scrooge's favorite activities, he's this rich, uh, kind of crotchety old uncle, and one of his favorite things to do is to take a swim in his vault. And he just has this sea of money, big enough that there's you know, excavators and tractors, things like that, to move the money around. And so he has a, I think he had a diving board, and he would dive into his money, and he would swim around in the money. For whatever reason, when I think of greed, like that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I think sometimes that's, our, that's what we think about greed. The more you have, the more greedy you are, and the less you have, the less greedy you are. But that's not how it works. Greed really has nothing to do with how much you do or do not have. And I don't think that really generosity really has that much to do with how much you do or don't give. It's about what's in your heart. Generosity starts with the realization that your stuff isn't really your stuff. And I think there's a lot of people out there that they want to have it all. And I mean, we're taught that, you know, we want to have it all. But the, the key, the secret to having it all is realizing that you really have nothing at all. That nothing we have really belongs to us. As we start this new series on generosity, we're going to start with a guy who, by the world standards, had it all. And really, it wasn't just by the world standards. He had a special relationship with God as well. As a matter of fact, the Bible refers to him as the God after man's own heart. Now, there's no perfect person, and we know that, but you'd think that a guy that was called the man after God's own heart would be pretty close, right? Maybe the closest thing in order to earn that title. But really, he was far from perfect. But there was something about this man, David, that set him apart from so many. And David shows us that really greed and generosity really don't have anything to do with how much you have or how much you give. It really has nothing to do with that. It's about the heart. And David shows us that. Now, David, this is the same David that killed the, the giant, Goliath, the nine-foot giant, knocked him on his back, killed him. 
This is the same uh, guy that even though he was the youngest of all his brothers, God chose him to be king. But this chapter that we're going to talk about is from uh, 1 Chronicles 29. This chapter that we're going to talk about is the final chapter of David's life. When we think about David, we think of him as a boy, as a young man. But this is the final chapter of his life. And what we see in this chapter is the thing that set David apart, it wasn't his stature. We, we read about his stature in the Bible. Now Saul, Saul, the king before David, the king that David replaced, he looked like a king. So that he was a head taller above, uh, a head taller than everyone else. He was tall, he was big, he was strong. He looked like a king. It said that David, he didn't look like a king. He was, he was a boy. He was rugged in appearance. So David, it wasn't his stature that set him apart, and it wasn't his morality that set him apart. The thing that made David different from other people was that he had a singular focus on God. He was focused on God. He made mistakes, but he always came back to him. If you were to flip back in your Bible to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, you would read this story about how David has a, a dream. Not a literal dream, but just something he, he has a desire, something that he wants to do. And his dream is that he wants to build a house for God. He wants to build a temple. Now, uh, leading up to this point, uh, the Israelites, they had wandered around, and they had a tabernacle that kind of represented the presence of God. And it was a tent, and they would follow them uh, wherever they went. They would take it with them. But now that they had a land that belonged to them, they wanted to, uh, David wanted to build an actual temple, a stationary place, a temple for God. And, And he wanted to do that. He wanted to build him a house. And so he goes to the prophet Nathan. He says, Nathan, this is what I want to do. And you know what Nathan does? Without even talking to God, he says, that sounds like a great idea. Whatever you, whatever you have in mind, just go ahead and do it. Sounds like a good idea. Well, then the next night, Nathan has a vision, a dream. And it says, that wasn't the right thing to do. David isn't the one that is going to build my house. It's going to be someone else because David had blood on his hands. So David couldn't build the temple for the Lord. And so God says, I know you want to build me a house, but you're not the one to do it, so I'm going to build you a house. Not a literal house, but what he did was he talked about his house in terms of his family and his line. And he took the the covenant that he had given to Abraham. He said, you know, all the way back in Genesis, Abraham, uh, you're going to have children. Your descendants are going to be uh, great. Um, There's going to be more than you can ever count. And uh, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. He made this covenant with the Israelites. And now he took that covenant and he passed it along through David. But he added something to it. He said, David, someone from your line is always going to sit on the throne. And of course, now we know that that was pointing to Jesus. This is in the Old Testament, but it's pointing to the coming Messiah. But that's the promise that God made to David. But God says, it's not you, David, but it's your son Solomon that I've chosen to build my house. Now, have you ever had to help your kid with a project? a science project or something like that, you want them to do really good, right? And so you help, and maybe you're tempted to, like, help more than you probably should. Like, you pretty much do it, and and they get the credit for it. Of course, the teacher knows you probably pretty well did it yourself. But that's almost kind of the imagery that I get in my mind, because David, he begins to make plans and help Solomon make preparation to build the temple. And so chapters 17 through 29 describe the preparations that David made. David drew up the plans, he gathered materials, and Solomon, we, or, excuse me, David, we know that he loved his son Solomon, but he had this kind of feeling like I think sometimes dad have this fear that maybe, maybe, Sol, maybe uh, Solomon wasn't exactly up to the challenge. 
He was concerned that maybe he couldn't do the things that God had in mind for him to do. And so he made these preparations for him. So 1 Chronicles 29.1 shows us this. It says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So here's David. He's close to death. He gathers the assembly together, and he begins to hand the kingdom off to his son. And so what we read here in this passage is kind of like David's last words, the last words that we read of his in the Bible, his last act of king, as far as we know. And this is what it says. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Verses 10 through 19. It's going to be up on the screen. If you've got your Bible, please open it up. Uh, should be Bibles in the pew in front of you as well if you want to follow along there. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 19. And this is what it says. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O God, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and, and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, just as our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our Lord, excuse me, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may be able to keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, that he may, be, that he may build the place the palace for which I have made provision. So this is uh, this, what we read here is David's last act of king. I mean, this is kind of like his will. And when we think of a will, a lot of times we think of like stuff, right? It's like stuff that we're passing on to our kids. But David, it's a little bit different. I mean, this really isn't about stuff. It's about what God has already given to him. And he's giving glory to God, even with his last words. And, and as we read this passage, even though we're kicking off a series on generosity, you don't read the words generous in this passage, and you don't read the words greed, but what we see is David modeling generosity. Because generosity is about the heart. It's your perspective towards the stuff that you own. And David, he's kind of a rags-to-riches a, a rags kind of a story, he wasn't from a, a poor family. He was probably from a wealthy family. I don't know if you remember, but in the Old Testament, maybe you uh, remember reading a book uh, called Ruth. You remember that book? It's a story about a woman who her husband passed away, and uh, she had other uh, sisters-in-law. Their husbands passed away. So Naomi was left without her sons. Her sons had passed away, and her other daughters-in-law were going to leave. And Naomi said, go away, leave me alone. You know, my name is Bitter, and, and, and I want you to go away and just leave me here. And Ruth refused to leave Naomi's side. 
She said, no, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be faithful to God. And so eventually God rewarded her. And even though they were poor and didn't have anything, uh, she married a rich man named Boaz. Now you might ask, why are we talking about Ruth? Ruth and Boaz were the great-grandparents of David. So chances are, David came from a family that had some means. But the reason I say it's a rags-to-riches story is because when we first meet David, he's a shepherd boy. I mean, Samuel comes to anoint the new king, and his father doesn't even think that it's a distant possibility that David could possibly be the king. And so he doesn't even call, he doesn't even bring him in. Samuel says, do you have any other sons? And, and he's like, well, yeah, I do. And he goes and fetches him. I mean, but it's kind of this unexplained story, this rags to riches story. A shepherd boy became a king. But even though that happened, David, he never forgot where he came from. He never bragged about his accomplishments. He gave the glory to God. He gave glory to God when he protected his sheep from a lion and a bear. He gave glory to God when he knocked down the nine-foot giant onto his back. He gave glory to God when, he delivered, when God delivered Saul into his hand. He gave glory to God when he defeated the Philistines. He did all these things, but he knew it wasn't him doing them. It was God using him. You see, what we need to understand is that generosity starts with the right perspective of who God is. Now, if you read chapters 17 through 28 of, of 1 Chronicles, you'll read about all these arrangements and preparations that David made. He organized the people. He made elaborate building plans. He figured out what supplies that he needed, and then he gathered them. He, he encouraged people to give those things. But what I love about David's kingdom is that it's different than most kingdoms. David doesn't force people to give to the temple. He leads by example. Compare that with other kings. For example, uh, think about Pilate. You want to know one of the reasons why the Jews hated Pilate so much is because he went into the treasury, robbed the temple treasury uh, to promote Rome's growth, to, to promote his own greatness. And that's what kings do sometimes. They take from other people. But David, he doesn't do that. He doesn't take. He encourages people to give, and he does that by being an example to them. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 12 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. You see, David, he acknowledged that everything he had was from God. And yes, he made plans. And he worked hard, and he made preparations, and he motivated other people to work hard. But at the end of the day, David says right here, everything we have is from God. Now, how many times do we make plans, and we think it's a good plan? We don't even think to ask God, and then all of a sudden we start to get a little nervous about the plan that we made. And we think, oh, maybe I should have prayed about that. And so we ask God to bless the plans that we already made. Well, I already made the decision, God, please, please help us to work out. Bless the plans that I already made. David doesn't do that. We read the word blessed here, but he's not asking for a blessing from God. It says that he blessed the Lord, which means that he gave glory and credit and honor to God. He sought the Lord's will. He went to Nathan, and he, and he said, this is what I want to do. Should I do it? Nathan was wrong, and he said, yeah. But when God corrected him, he obeyed. He listened. We, I think, can learn a lesson from a couple that I heard about um, a long time ago. 1989, a couple kind of got themselves into some trouble. 
They were approached uh, by some people about using their yard to film this dramatic car crash scene for a movie that they were working on. And they said, you know, the, the scene ends up with us blowing up your front yard. Are, are you okay with that? Will you allow us to use your house to do that? And they said, yeah, sure, okay. And, of course, they were compensated for it. But the problem was they didn't own the house. The problem was they were the renters of the home. They had gave permission as if they owned the house. And then when the owner found out, of course, he held them responsible. But they acted like they owned what wasn't theirs. They were only renters. They were only managers. They were only stewards, but they acted as if it was theirs. We need to understand that we don't own what we have in this world. And we hate that, don't we? We don't like the idea of not owning something. That's one of the first things we try to do as adults, right? We, we want to own our own home. We don't want to rent. We, we want to, you know, we've worked for this stuff, and we've planned, and we've saved. But at the end of the day, everything we have is God's. He's given it to us, not as owners, but as stewards and if, as managers. And, and someday he's going to hold us accountable to what he's given us. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be ambitious and, and make plans. But we need to ask questions like this. What should I do with a paycheck? What should I do with this time that I have? What should I do with this gift that God has blessed me with? What, should, what would he have me do instead of what do I want to do? David, he doesn't brag about all the things that he's done, but he rants about God's qualities. That's not an easy thing to do, is it? It's hard not to take the credit for something, especially when we've worked hard for it. But generosity requires that we have a proper perspective of ourselves. And we learn that from David. David, I mean, by the world standards, he was a really important guy. I mean, he was a Bible hero. We still talk about him today. But look at how he thinks of himself. Verse 14 says, who am I? What is my people that we should be, thus to, be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. David says, who am I? Well, he's the king. But he didn't think more of himself than he should have. See, giving freely to God was a privilege to David. He was excited to be able to give something to God. Sometimes when we give, it's for the wrong reasons. Isn't, isn't that ironic that greed can manifest itself even when we're giving something? Because it's about the heart. It's about the attitude. You might be giving all you have away, but if you're giving it away for the wrong reasons, it doesn't make it generosity. Sometimes we give things away so that it looks better for us. So even our giving can be motivated by greed. David, he says, who am I? I'm, not, I'm nothing important. Not only that, but he says, and, and what is my people? Well, these were God's people. I mean, that's something the Israelites do over and over is they use this relationship they had with God to kind of flaunt it to other people. They use it as something that, well, we're Jews. You know, we're Israelites. We're something. David doesn't do that. He says, God, we're, we're strangers. We're sojourners. He's pointing back to his heritage. When, when his ancestors wandered through the wilderness, to come to the promised land. And now they were obviously in the promised land. But you see, David is making a deeper point here. He's saying, we're no more than strangers here. We're just passing through. This isn't our home. This isn't where we live. We're just passing through. So generosity requires that we have a, a certain view, a proper view of God and ourselves. It also requires that we have a proper view of this earth as well. This earth is not our home. We're just passing through. You wouldn't build a multi-million dollar home in a town that you were just visiting, right? 
Because you wouldn't be there to enjoy it. It wouldn't make any sense. Sometimes we build up big things here on earth, even though we're just kind of passing through. David says it here, life is but a breath. He says, our days are like a shadow. There is no abiding. So you see, whatever we do manage to build or accumulate on this earth is is temporary. The other thing that generosity requires is an upright heart. What does it mean to have an upright heart? Does it mean to be perfect? Well, David, he was far from perfect, wasn't he? He had some big mistakes, big sins in his life. But what gave him him an upright heart was that he was focused on God. You see, when you focus your eyes on God, it frees you up from all the stuff for this world. It frees you up from the worry and those kinds of things because you're not worried about paying for this fancy thing or that fancy thing. You're simply doing the will of God. God's assuming all the risk because you're building his kingdom. So these people, David gathers the assembly together. And he offers this prayer. All these people are gathered. He leads by his own example. And then people begin to to give freely. And they gave with joy. They were excited about giving. Compare that with what we read in the New New Testament. You remember the story about Ananias and Sapphira? Remember what they did? They had sold a field. It was theirs to sell. They had gathered the money up and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what we also know is that somebody else had done this. And so they were kind of doing this to look good, just like this other person had been generous. So they brought the the money from the field, but what they did was they held some of the money back, which was their right. It was their field. They could have done that. They could have kept all of it if they wanted to, but they brought the money that they had left before the disciples, and one of them asked, is this everything from the field? And they said, yes. And Ananias dropped dead because he lied. It wasn't that he had kept some back for himself. It was his field. It was the fact that he lied. He was doing it for dishonest gain. Sapphira, his wife, comes in. They ask the same question. She lies, and the same thing happens. She falls over dead. They were giving for the wrong reasons. It wasn't about generosity. They were doing it to fuel their own ego so that people would think that they were really something. But David here, he leads by example. He gives 110 tons of gold. Now, Israelites, their culture was a little different. There's a lot of different ideas out there about how much the Jews actually gave. I did some reading this week, and it seems to me that Jews probably gave, on average, right around 23% of their income right from the top. Certain seasons, they gave more, and certain seasons, they gave less. If you average it all out, it's probably around 23%, something like that. That's one opinion. There's lots of opinions out there. That's just what I gathered from my reading. My point is this, they gave a pretty substantial amount of their income right from the top. So they've already given 23% of their income, and then on top of that, they begin to give freely to David. And how did they do it? How did they do that? It's because they had the right perspective. They realized that what they had was not theirs. You see, greed is as old as Cain and Abel. When I first started the sermon, I said, what is greed and where does it come from? And we really haven't answered that question. I think to answer the question, you really have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the garden. And you might remember in the garden, it was kind of this utopia. Everything was perfect. But the fall is what ended this utopic existence of man. And it all happened when Eve ate the fruit. But the question we need to ask is, why did Eve eat the fruit? Why did Eve make that choice? Do you remember? The reason she ate the fruit is because she fell for the lie that God was holding back something from her. 
You see, at the root of, of the fall of man was the fact that Eve did not trust God. And that's really what greed is. It's a lack of trust in God. It's desiring something other than what God has in mind for you. And just like Eve, we get duped all the time, don't we? Into thinking that God isn't going to take care of us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, this is Paul talking. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is Paul writing. And you read the words, He will rescue me from every evil deed. From the outside, that didn't seem to be true. I mean, Paul, he even lists out the things that have happened to him. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. They tried to stone him to death. So God didn't rescue him from every hardship, but what he meant was that he knew that no matter what he faced in this life, it was going to be okay. God was on his side, whether it was in this life or the next. So Paul is, is talking, and, and he didn't escape every hardship. But his point is this. If you seek the will of God, he's going to take care of you. If you seek the will of God, he will give you what you need. And how many times are we given more than what we need? And if we feel anything other than that, it's because we're seeking something different than what God has in mind for us. Well, what we need to understand is that God, he cares for you. And when we choose greed, that shows that we don't believe that. The reason why we choose greed is because we don't believe God is going to take care of us. We think we have to take care of ourselves on our own through our own strength and power. And when we believe that, it means that we're not giving full credit to God. Generosity, though, it shows that we believe what God says when we're open-handed with what God has given us. But that's pretty, that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? To open our hand, not knowing <laughs> what tomorrow's going to bring. A lot of times we want God to give it to us first. Well, can you give it to me and then I'll give it back to you? you know, we, we want the proof that we're going to be okay. And sometimes God asks us to step out on faith. But when God shows us first, that isn't faith. But giving, you know, generosity, it's not a requirement of a believer. Generosity is a mark that you are a believer. And I'm not talking about occasionally slipping a $10 bill into the offering. Uh, a lot of people have asked us why we don't collect uh, offering like we used to. We used to pass the plates. That's one of the reasons we don't do it anymore. Because when people give, we don't want anybody giving out of obligation because there's a plate, especially when it comes to new people that don't know about giving. We don't want people just giving out of obligation because they feel like they have to for appearance sake. We want people to, to be able to give freely, to be able to give openly, to be able to give with a, a joyful heart because they want to, because it's something they think that God calls them to do. Generosity marks the life of a believer. But what does our giving or what does our lack thereof say about us? What, do, what does our bank statement say about us? That's a scary thought. What does it say is most important to us? I don't want to think about that. But what does our giving say about the church as a whole? Did you know that on average the church tithes about 2.5% of their income? Did you know that that's less than even in the Great Depression? That in the Great Depression they gave about 3.3% when people had just about nothing to give? Did you know that about 10 to 25% of church attendees tithe and that's it? So let's dream for a little bit, okay? Let's just think about this. If Christians actually tithe 10%, okay, people that claim to be Christians, if everybody tithed 10%, it would increase giving by $165 billion a year. 
Do you know how much it would cost to end world hunger? You know what the yearly cost is? About $30 billion. Now, when we hear numbers like this, it kind of makes us feel guilty, right? And that's not why I'm talking about this. This this isn't to induce guilt. That's not not why we're talking about this. I'm just trying to ask the question, why don't Christians give? That's a question that we all wonder from time to time. And sometimes I think it's because we don't know that we're supposed to give. And that's why we're doing a series. I'm just going to be super candid with you. This might get me in trouble. I don't know. But I'll just be straight up with you like I always try to be. Several months ago, we started looking at our bills and started looking at what we had in the account for the church, and we thought, uh, it's getting a little scary. <laughs> we were getting kind of nervous, and we thought, you know, how should we handle this? And we prayed about it, and I think we put some things out there just to let people know that, hey, we're, we're, you know, things are tight, and we just wanted people to be aware. But we started asking the question as a leadership, well, you know, why, why are things kind of tight? And it dawned on us that, you know, maybe people don't know about giving. We've got a lot of new people coming. And maybe those people haven't been taught that giving is part of being a believer. Maybe it's people that have sat in the pews that just need to be reminded of it. That's kind of where this idea came from. We thought, let's just do a short little series on on money, you know, on on giving. And um, we're going to do like a two- or three-week series. And as I begin to dive into this topic of generosity, uh, we've expanded it to about 10 weeks. But we're not talking about money. And that's what I started looking. I thought, this really isn't about money, is it? I mean, yeah, that's part of it. Generosity is part of money's part of it. But uh, it's more about our heart, isn't it? We're not worried about the money. We're worried about the heart. And it's not just money. It's our, it's our time. It's every resource that we have. How would God want us to use those things? And so as I dove into it, I thought, there's a lot of things. We need to talk about why we give. We need to talk about what we give and how we give all these things. So we're going to be talking about generosity for the next 10 weeks. And sometimes I think it's just we don't know what we're supposed to do. And so that's part of this series is just education to say, okay, this is what the Bible says about the kind of heart that we're supposed to have. But a lot of times it's just flat-out sin, isn't it? And it goes all the way back to the garden. It comes back to a lack of trust in God or, a, you know, we want something different than what God has in mind for us. Sometimes it's just sin. Sometimes it's not that. I mean, some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, Nate, you don't understand. I'm a single mom. Or, Nate, I'm on a fixed income. You know, we don't, we don't have extra money to give. I can't imagine giving anything to anyone because I don't even have enough to take care of myself. I want you to understand God doesn't heap impossible tasks on us. The Bible says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And one of the things I think we need to come to is, is understanding the joy of giving. And some of you, you've had that perspective where you thought you didn't have something to give. And you gave it anyways. And now you understand the joy of giving because you found out that God takes care of us. But it only happens when we step out in faith. That's the hard thing about it. And some of you, you know, I, I, I'll, again, I want to be super candid. I feel like I should not be the one teaching this sermon series. This is not a strength of mine. This is not a strong suit. If you thought you were hiring the perfect preacher when you hired me, you were way off. So I'm sorry. You can undo it if you want to. I understand. Uh, But this is not a strong suit of mine. Yeah, I try to be generous with what I have, uh, but this is something I need to work on too, something I need to hear. Um, But I I do remember one story. Um, It was when I was in college, and it always sticks out to me. And most of you have probably heard this story multiple times. 
But I'll never forget, when I was the youth minister here in college, um, the, the church was awesome to me. They paid for a good part of my tuition, and so most of what I made when I was the youth minister here went right to college. I mean, it went right there. And they gave me you know, enough to, to get back and forth and to feed myself uh, while I was in college, but there wasn't a whole lot left over. And usually, you know, if there's any kind of car repairs, and I drove an 87 Grand Marquis, so there were car repairs, let me tell you. Anytime there was something extra, things got really tight. And I can remember there was one weekend where I had some sort of extra expense, and money was tight, and it was Friday. I would usually leave on a Friday, come back on a Sunday. I was just getting ready to leave Lincoln, and I looked at my gas tank, and I had a quarter of a tank, I think, to get here, which is just enough to get here, and I had zero money. And I thought, I don't know what to do. I have enough money to get there, but I don't have enough money to get back. And so I thought about it. I thought, well, what should I do? And uh, yeah, finally, I thought about it. And I thought, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? I'll drive there, and nothing will happen, and I'll be stuck there for a week. I guess that's the worst thing that will happen. So anyways, I um, got ready to leave. And um, the last thing I always did was check my mail before I left campus. I go in there, open it up, and there was a, an older couple that would used to, they used to send me a, a card. It wasn't on a rotation or anything, but just sometimes they would send me a card. There was always 20 bucks in there. Sure enough, I go in there, open up the mailbox, and there's a card, 20 bucks in there, just enough to get me to and from where I needed to go. That was just one time that I remembered, and that's a small example of, of a time that God was faithful to me. And I know some of you have learned that in a huge way. You've had impossible things that you've come up against. But yet God has taught you the joy of giving. That's what this is really about. This isn't about the money. It's not about anything. It's about our heart. It's about being generous because generosity marks the heart of believers. And it happens when you step out on faith. And it happens when you realize that everything you have is a gift from God. So you need to understand, greed has nothing to do with how much you have or don't have. Generosity has nothing to do with how much you give or don't give. At the end of the day, it's about your heart. Generosity starts with the realization that our stuff isn't our stuff, that we're managers of what God has given us. Just like two weeks ago, we talked about the, uh, the parable of talents, and there were three people. They were all given different amounts of money. Two guys made a good return on the investment that the master had given them. One guy just buried it into the ground and squandered what God had given to him. One day, God is going to hold us accountable to what he's given us. We're going to be accountable for that. And I hope that we can learn the joy of generosity. That when he comes back, that he finds us being faithful with what he's given us. But the secret to having it all, it starts with realizing that we really have nothing at all. That everything we have, just like David says, he had a lot of stuff, didn't he? But everything he had, he realized, this isn't mine. That God, this is from you. This is me just giving you back a little bit of what you've blessed me with. Man, I hope we can have that attitude. So you think, well, where do I start? This whole generosity thing, this is new to me. I, you know, I didn't grow up in church, and I didn't know anything about this. And, and um, first of all, I just want to say welcome. And if you want to know where to start, my encouragement to you is just give something. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about money to the church. I'm not talking, I don't care what it is. I'm just saying, I just want you to give something to someone. If you don't feel like you have, even if you don't feel like you have a lot, I'm just encouraging you, step out on faith and just give something to someone. That's it. Start there. If maybe you're already kind of past that, I want to encourage you, if this is new to you and if you claim to be a believer, 
I want to encourage you to start tithing. Again, I hate talking about money at church because there's not a time that I don't have a conflict of interest, I guess, or seemingly so. So again, I'm not saying specifically to our church. I'm just saying I would encourage you to look at what the Bible says about tithing. Tithe, in our opinion, is 10% of of what we have. I would encourage you, even if you feel like you can't do it, to give a tithe. Again, I don't care where it goes, but I'm encouraging you to try that, to step out on faith, and I I guarantee you were going to see some things happen in your life that you never thought possible. Some of you, I want to challenge you to do this, just give an extravagant gift. Maybe God has blessed you, and again, I'm not talking about the church. I'm just talking about to someone. I don't care. Just in the name of Jesus, if you are able... Just give somebody an extravagant gift. And I just want you to see the joy of giving because I know if you step out of faith, you're going to see what we're talking about. But man, we've got this example of David, a guy who had it all, but realized that it wasn't his. It was simply what God had given him. That needs to be our perspective. And I hope that we all get to the place and maturity where we can give freely and joyfully just like David did and just like the other Israelites did in the story here. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to gather together in your house. Lord, we know that we have so much to be thankful for. And sometimes, Lord, we lose sight of that. We begin whining about the things that we don't have or somebody else has or the things that are going wrong in our lives. And, Lord, we know that we are incredibly blessed. So we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you will help us change our perspective as we think about generosity, that you'll change our perspective. You'll help us to understand that what we have, our stuff, isn't our stuff, Lord, that all belongs to you. It's all something that you have given to us. Help us to have that attitude. Help us to grow and mature to the point that we can be open-handed and understand the joy that comes from giving to other people. It's your name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And something I want to let you know about, especially since we've got so many, uh, we've got a lot of new faces here today. It's great to have everybody. Uh, but I want to let you know something we started doing a few months ago. Uh, we've got some elders here, um, guys that uh, have stepped up to be leaders. They're striving to be godly men. And they're the guys that, that make the decisions about the church. And uh, I just want to let you know that these are guys that care about you. And I know sometimes there's things that go on in our hearts uh, during worship or during a sermon or something really stands out to us, and we feel like we need to do something about it, or we need to at least talk to somebody about it. Uh, maybe you just got something going on in your life. Maybe you're having an issue with, uh, maybe it's a financial thing, or maybe it's a marriage thing, or, or a health thing. I just wanted to let you know that these guys are here for you. And so they stand in the back of the room during the invitation song. If you've got anything on your heart or mind that you want to talk about or pray with somebody about, I want you to know that they're available uh, to you. So we're going to stand and sing this song. And uh, like I said, if you've got something that's, that's eating away at you or pulling you in a direction, I'd encourage you to go talk to one of those guys. If you've got something you want to talk about and you want to talk to me, I'm going to be up here. And if I see you coming, I'll meet you down here. But if you've got something on your heart today you need to talk about, uh, please feel free to do that as we sing this song.